Okay, if you would, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1. I'll be reading Luke, chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Luke 1, 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son... And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all marveled. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the Lord, for the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, For He has visited and redeemed His people. And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. In order to show mercy promised to our fathers, And to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Lord, help me be a conduit for this historical happening and for the truth which you spoke through your prophet Zechariah, to the glory of the name of this horn of salvation, this saving sunrise, we pray. Amen. Part of Christian growth, maturity, is growth in the knowledge of Scripture. I say all of it, but it's certainly an integral part. And more specifically, it is a growth in the understanding of redemptive history. Meaning God's history in the way throughout the centuries, He was moving and He was acting and He was doing something that led to the culmination of Jesus coming in to the world. What we're going to see this morning is that John the Baptist's dad, he was permeated with an understanding of redemptive history. 
And the biggest question for every one of us in here this morning is, am I personally part of God's redemptive unfolding throughout the centuries? In other words, as Zechariah will say it, has the sunrise, who is Jesus, shined in my heart to save me from my greatest enemy justice of God in other words has the horn of salvation come and delivered me from my guilt let's look at the text In Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 66, this is the setting for what we're going to mainly see this morning. This Holy Spirit prophecy of Zechariah. Let's just picture this day. Nine months earlier, remember, Zechariah had been encountered by a scary, frightening, angelic being who said, your barren wife who's been barren all these years, and now you're both old geezers, she's going to get pregnant. You're going to bear a son. And he didn't believe it. And the angel said, because of your unbelief, he didn't say this, but this is the truth, you're going to go deaf and dumb for nine months. We see that in our text today. They had a sign to him. They couldn't talk to him. And so, there he is. He goes home. He can't hear. can't speak. He's got to scribble to communicate to his wife. She gets pregnant. Zechariah has nine long months of a silent world to think, to ponder, to meditate, to pray over that experience, and don't miss it, with the scrolls, which are right there in the synagogue. He's reading them. He's memorizing text. And after nine months, he's going, wow. He believes now. And he sees what the angel Gabriel said to him in the context of what he is reading in Scripture and that this is this culmination of fulfillment that we, Israel, have been waiting for for centuries. John is born. Eight days later, there's a big party, big gathering, the circumcision. John's being engrafted into the covenant community of Israel. And look at, and people running around, look at little Zechariah and Elizabeth, because she knows. No, 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 he's not Zechariah, he's John. That's weird, you don't do that. They do, because they believed and obeyed the angel. So, I mean, she knows she's talking about, let's get Zechariah. He signs, give me a tablet, piece of wood, wax. His name is John. And then he can hear. And he can speak. And he prophesies by the Holy Spirit. And it's called the Benedictus simply because especially from the 3rd, 4th, 5th century the main Bible that the Western church is reading is not the original Greek text it's translation into Latin it's the Latin Vulgate and therefore in the Western church the, the, the translation of the Greek word to bless bless the Lord God of Israel bless him is the word Benedictus that's why we call it that now briefly if you look down at the prophecy now there's two parts From verse 68 to 75, it has to do with Jesus, the baby in Mary, not John. Then in verse 76, did I say 68 to 75? Verse 76, then he addresses 
his own baby, John. So, let's look at it. Verse 68. Nine months, guys. Can't hear, can't speak. Holy Spirit comes on him. Bless the Lord God of Israel. Okay, why? See the next word? For. Here it is. This is what's turning in him by the Holy Spirit, by the Scripture, by the Holy Spirit, by the Scripture. This is what's turning in him. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. That's how we know what he's referring to here. This horn. God visiting is the baby in Mary. Okay. This is the baby who's from the house of Judah. The house of David. The one in Mary. Not his son John from the house of Levi. He's referring to what we call the Davidic covenant. Here the word David. Meaning the promise the covenant that God made with King David a thousand years earlier. When through Nathan, he said, your son David, Solomon, he's going to reign. He's going to build the temple. And then there's this weird thing. And then on that throne will reign a son from your lineage forever. See, back in 2 Samuel... 7, 11 to 13. Zechariah knows it by heart. Nathan came to David and on behalf of the Lord said, The Lord, David, declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then a few hundred years later, the prophet Isaiah prophesies in chapter 9 of his book, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth. And forever. This is what's going on in Zechariah concerning these happenings in this first chapter of Luke. And now notice Zechariah says that the God of Israel has visited and redeemed His people. Now, that's, that's what you call prophetic past tense. What he's saying is, this is what's happening now in four. 5BC. God is visiting His people. He's saying the coming of Jesus through the womb of Mary is a visitation of God Himself. Now, the last prophet in Israel was 400 years before. Israel, the people, the Jews, Judaism now, during that time, is developing. People are wondering, has God just totally deserted us? He's been silent for centuries as He withdrawn. Israel now have been subjugated by differing empires, and now for the last 80 years, it's been the Roman Empire They're occupied. You can't go anywhere without seeing the soldiers of Rome. Many Jews, knowing their Bible, are looking and waiting for God to act. And we see this. Luke, look at chapter 2. 
Luke will say in chapter 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Why is he doing that? Because he reads his Bible. In verse 38, it says, many were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, here's Zechariah. He's saying that this long-awaited visitation was about to happen. And he's right. One thing he didn't know, no Jew knew in that day, that it was going to come in a way they didn't expect. He says his visit is in order to redeem. See that? Verse 68. For He has visited and redeemed His people. When Zechariah says this, he does not have in his head the understanding that the Apostle Paul has in the book of Romans when he is unfolding the redemption that is in Christ Jesus that is going on in hearts and souls right now until His second coming. He's not, he does not, in other words, He's not saying, He's come to redeem. Look at this. That baby in Mary's womb is going to grow up and is going to be slaughtered as a sacrificial lamb on behalf of the people. Zechariah does not know that. When he says, by the Spirit, what he's saying. In first century Judaism, they had no category for the Messiah who will be a suffering lowly Servant who will die. Though there were hints, especially in Isaiah chapter 53. When he says redeem, in Zechariah's mind, is something more like God coming with Moses, redeeming the children of Israel out of slavery and out of bondage. To redeem, you're paying a price, but, but the end result of redemption is you're gaining your freedom. Like in Exodus 6, 6, before God delivers Israel, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. This is, this is what they're waiting for. He's like everyone else in first century Palestinian Judaism. He's hoping that Israel will be freed. Most likely. Didn't know really how, but come on, free us! from this Roman occupation. Come, Son of David, reign and free your people, Israel. God did not reveal to Zechariah. Jesus tried to pound it into His disciples and didn't work until after His resurrection. <laughs> and He knew it wouldn't work. They're not going to get why I'm coming the first time. They know there was two comings. Zechariah doesn't know there's two comings. Zechariah is dead right about what he's prophesying. And it's throughout the Old Testament too. He's going to come. He is going to destroy physically his enemies at his second coming. Not his first. So notice it says that the Lord God of Israel who's coming to redeem his people. Now, Zechariah here means Israel. He means Israel who is God's chosen nation to whom the promise has been given. Now, it is true, God certainly had in His mind Gentiles, non-Israel. And we even get hints of that in the Old Testament. But His purpose here in this prophecy and in this coming through the womb of Mary is to go to the Jews first. The baby will grow up and he will say later in Matthew chapter 15, remember the Gentile? You're not a Jew. But, but I need to... Why should I give you the food, the children, to a dog? Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh, don't miss it. Oh, does she have great faith in? Okay, you got it. You can be grafted into Israel. 
through faith. So in verse then 69, Zechariah gets more specific about God's visitation in his redeeming his people. When he says, quote, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant. David. So he's talking about Jesus and he calls him a horn of salvation. It's not a bugle. He doesn't mean an instrument here. He's referring to the dangerous, lethal weapon of the horn of an ox, a frightening bull. In the Old Testament, lifting up a horn, you can see bulls in a bullfight, lifting up their horn refers to that tossing of the horn display of power. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 17, for instance, just listen. Quote, A firstborn bull, he has majesty. And his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples. All of them. To the ends of the earth. And you got to, so you got to get this picture. See, for most of human history, unlike us, very recently, people did not have the ability to jump into the safety of their car and go to wild animal park. When you're traveling, you're walking, and you're going on some long journey. It took a long time. You have a problem at times with wild animals and beasts. And a horn is scary. The picture he's giving here of horns is more like YouTube. Just, you know, put bullfights or something. And when the bull finally loses it, and they jump into the stands, and you see the frightened people just scattering, and how do we... That's the picture of the horns. And Zechariah says, this horn of salvation has been prophesied about. Look at verse 70 and 71. He, as he, this horn of salvation, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So what do you as he spoke, it's right there. For instance, Psalm 132, verses 17 to 18. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. That's got to be one of the prophecies that Zechariah is referring to. Listen to how King David himself sings in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 2 to 3. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation. In Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold. So, for here in this Zechariah prophecy, Jesus is the horn of salvation because He is a deadly weapon which Zechariah goes on to say saves His people from their Enemies. So what this prophecy means is that one day Jesus will literally come. And it will be scary. He will come and He will destroy the enemies of God. And He will gather His people into the land and He will rule over them. He will do this at His second coming. 
but now. Zechariah's words here, as he's going to go on, that's what he's explicitly saying. But in the words that we get here by the Holy Spirit through Zechariah, it implies something more. So let's read on. Pick up at verse 72. He's going to do this to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Let me just... See, Jesus is going to reveal there's a tension. That is going to happen in part before His second coming. He will be gathering the people. There will be those who are before Him in holiness and pursuing righteousness. But, it will still wait the second coming, the consummation for the full revelation of it. So now listen to what he said there in 72 and 73. Zechariah, he knows redemptive history. Every Christian should know the basic outlines of redemptive history. He knows that these prophecies to David rest upon the original promises, covenant made to Abraham. Remember God chose Abraham. Genesis 12. And He said to him, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. A few years later, you flip over to Genesis 15 and God takes Abraham out. Can you see the stars? It's really clear. Can you count them? Of course not. So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed God. And then it says, and God attributed that to righteousness. And God so pleased that that night, He said, now Abraham, I want you to take this kind of an ox and that kind of a goat and these animals and I want you to slaughter them. And I want you to cut them in half and put them on each side. And it got dark and Abraham waited and he's shooing birds away. And God Himself manifested Himself in a pot of fire and smoke and He Himself walked through. And the text will go on to say there in Genesis 17, and by this He was making a covenant with Abraham. Quote, To your offspring, God says, I will give the land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. He's saying, Abraham, trust me. If I don't keep this promise, it is as if I, God, will be torn in two like these animals. Abraham didn't have a kid. And like you and me, he's a sinner. And he screws up. Trying to help God out with Hagar. Gets Ishmael. But, and God says, no! It's not what I'm talking about. And he finally, finally, finally gives Abraham and Sarah Isaac. And Isaac becomes a teenager. And God says, well, do you trust me? Have you learned to grow? Trust me. Yeah. Go kill him. Go kill Isaac this way. Sacrifice him if you're really devoted to me. Somehow Abraham knew you promised me stars of heaven as my descendants through this kid. Okay. You must, if I kill him, you're going to have to raise him from the dead. And he does. And in response to that, of course God was not going to have him kill him. Stop! Boom. In response to Abraham's heart, God said to him in Genesis 22, starting with verse 16, By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. 
because you have done this, and you have not withheld your Son, your only Son, I will surely bless you and surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is by the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of His enemies. And in your offspring shall, oh thank God Gentiles, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That, right there, is the oath that Zechariah is referring to when he said, he's remembering the oath he made to Abraham. He's saying, God did not lay His hand on anything outside of Himself when He swore the oath. Because there is nothing higher than Himself. And so God says, I swear by Myself. Zechariah says, this oath that He made to Abraham is being fulfilled in that baby that's in Mary's womb so that, verse 74, we would be delivered from the hand of our enemies. We therefore might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. So God's goal in bringing the horn of salvation is not merely to free an oppressed people group. It is. And He hasn't done it yet. But He will. But from these clues here, it is, it is in the prophecy to create for Himself a people in holiness and in righteousness, as we will find out as Luke unfolds, because they trust in Christ. So this means that the redemption that Mary's baby brings not only refers to the Jews at the second coming, but to all who come to Christ, to all who serve Him now in holiness and righteousness. Jesus liberates, frees the heart. Okay. It is now in his prophecy that Zechariah turns to his baby. He just, just got to picture it again. There hasn't been a prophet for over 400 years in Israel. He's at the circumcision. His name is. John, and his ears pop open. And the very first thing that his voice is used for by God Himself is to prophesy what we just heard. These words are not just matter of fact, cool, smooth words. You've got to picture him trembling and trying to, to, to gain control of his emotions. And as he turns to his own Baby, I just think he's struggling to gain composure. And he says, starting in verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins. So he says, John, his son, selected miracle birth to go before the son of David and make a pathway into the people. Particularly, this basic knowledge of real salvation. It's a heart issue. Whether you're a religious Pharisee, PhD, poor farmer, 
or a soldier. He preaches to the heart of repentance, salvation, forgiveness of sins. That's what my baby is going to grow up and is destined to do. Now, don't miss what Zechariah says next. Because now, that's your job, John, and it reverts back to Jesus, but in this way. Because here's the question. Why did God take such pains with the angel Gabriel and His sovereign providence to have a barren Elizabeth and let them grow old and then visit them so that John would come into the world? How come this Baptist went out into the wilderness as a crazy nut preaching a baptism? What is of repentance? The answer is right here in his prophecy. You see the word because. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you let them know about salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Why, God? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Don't miss it. It's because of the not just mercy here, tender mercy. In Greek, it's this word splankna. Guts. That's how they would do it. We in differing cultures and languages look for stuff like okay, <laughs> when you're going to propose to your wife. You want, you're looking for language with all my heart. Okay. He says, the reason John will come leading the path for the sunrise, it is because of God's deep, deep sense of loving. Mercy. Now, the word mercy, as we saw last week, means that. It doesn't make any sense if you're not in danger of bleeding to death. Help have mercy on me. Get me to a hospital. Look, there's a way in which our man-centered feelings, or whatever we call it, and what can happen in religion and within our Christian lives is, I don't want to talk about God is wrathful. Because that word is the word, oh, gay. Angry. Not sinfully angry. Righteously angry. And we want to say unbiblical things. Oh, no. Somehow, not you, Joe LeMay. It's your sin. As if my sin has Ontology, existence, and being apart from the being that God gave me. The reason why we should be balanced in our reading of text and as pastors who preach it, let it speak, is because we want to hear what he's saying when he says, because of the tender mercy is coming to you to save you from something that is real and you really need 
His grace in the context of your horrific situation. And so in here, Zechariah goes to give another word picture. We have the word picture of the horn of salvation and he gives this word picture to unfold the tender mercy of God. Read on. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, let me just quote from, from, from one commentator because this is at the core. He's got something in mind. Zechariah is using an analogy that he understands and this is most likely exactly what he's referring to in his culture and context. Quote, The picture here is of travelers who have lost their way in the wilderness and are overtaken by the night. They grope for the path, but it eludes them. Finally, in despair, they can do nothing but sit down in the darkness where death from wild beasts lurks in the darkness and hope for morning light. They can't sleep because they're too cold and too afraid. Every time a wolf howls in the darkness, they shudder. They're sitting. They're lost. Bushes and trees. They don't know where the path is. It's overcast night. It's not a full moon. You don't have a gun. You might have a stick. Might do you good, but you know, gosh, waiting. How many more hours till the sun comes up? And then finally, the black eastern sky turns to a faint blue. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Within 15 minutes, it's bluer and bluer, and you're starting to see your hand, and you're saying, I'm saved. Saved from the with and by the rising sun. Zechariah says, Jesus, the one of David, the baby in Mary's womb, He is visiting us. He is the rising sun of Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 2, prophesied 430 years earlier. Quote, But for you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And when that sun comes up in the morning, listen to what it says, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And there's one common element in each of the metaphors that Zechariah gives us this morning. And that is this. Those who are being saved by those metaphors, somehow they're coming into the knowledge of their desperate need for the mercy of a horn of salvation. For the mercy of a rising sun. They know that they are overpowered by their enemies. Unless behind them stands a huge, massive, violent ox to use his horns on the enemies. They know they might not make it through the night unless the sunrise comes. They're going to be doomed. One evidence, therefore, in your lives, in my life, is my, my part of God's redemptive plan. It has to do with have you seen the eastern sky of blackness start to turn blue and you rejoice? Have you felt and sensed the danger of 
and wild animals of your sin in the face of a perfectly holy and just God that meant your doom. Did you used to be blind in the darkness, but now I see. I, I tremble. I know what it is to tremble. It please, sunrise, come. If you're there now, oh, the sunrise is coming. It, 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 it reminds me of Wednesday night's home group where, where, where Bob Draves shared... I'm, I'm picturing you're, he's probably mid-30s at this point. You know, he's raised in America. He's raised in a you know, little bit of church. But he's going his own way. He's not a Christian. God has been... Many times we see processes. I heard two testimonies this morning. and Okay, I gave you my testimony. It's wonderful to watch God's process of what was it like to be sitting off the beaten path in the middle of the night and it's dark. And what mercy it was to realize that's where you were. That was God's grace. And you get nervous. You get scared. Well, here's Bob. I just found it just penetrating. He says what was happening before he ended up in a local body God had been working something. I don't know how many months. He's in his mid-30s, but he would start to say, it's how it was. I'm driving down the freeway and he'd start to hit him. i got to slow down. i got to drive more carefully because if I get in a crash and die now, I'm going to hell. That was God's mercy. Because only then, when you know I'm in danger, of getting eaten by an animal. Well, you recognize and love the beauty of the sunrise. Reminds me of the great hymn, Amazing Grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fear, Relief. Has the sunrise of Christ risen in your heart in order to put your feet, as he says, on the path of peace? Here's how Paul says that. Having been justified. Okay, there's a legal judgment condemnation problem and justification legally before God by faith alone in Jesus Christ is the answer and in chapter 5 verse 1 of Romans he says having been justified by faith we have peace don't twist it he's not saying that means I feel good with God you do a lot of people do. And all kinds of crazy, wrong religiosities. It means God is at peace with you because He dealt with it in His Son. The sunrise, Zechariah says, is coming. And Mary, He will put many on the path of safety and peace with God. Has the horn of salvation leapt over you to kill your enemies? I mean, i got to think that I don't know, and I don't even know if C.S. Lewis would admit it. I don't know. But especially in his Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this horn of salvation who is Jesus? Get this with Zechariah. This is God's answer of His tender mercy. Now, He used, Lewis used, the metaphor, which the Bible uses also. Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But you can see, horn, vicious, 
Gore that enemy. He's tender mercy. He is. If you're a Lucy, have you seen the sunrise as Lucy saw Aslan? No problem with her to just cuddle and run her fingers through his mane. She's not afraid. And that Jesus, that Aslan is the same one who is vicious toward the enemies of God. He will pounce on that white witch. This is the picture Zechariah has given us of this baby in Mary's womb. The Son is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. See it, hear it, and believe. And if you have been delivered, if you've become Lucy, I have great confidence I have, and it's such mercy, mercy. Let us spend these next two weeks, especially during this Christmas season, rejoicing in the anticipation of reliving this advent of the sun rising and the birth to come. In the real meaning of Christmas, we should be like calves. Sunrise, gates open, and leap for joy. Let's sing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trip you up a bit, Steve. Let's go back and sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. When we sing this line, O come thou day spring, that's referring to Zechariah's prophecy. That's the old translation word for the sunrise that we're desperate for. Lord, to the glory of Your holy name, may the sunrise on hearts that haven't seen it, and may we whom You have shined Your light go deeper with You by the grace of Your holy work in the Spirit.